This is our fourth lesson in our series on pain and suffering and grief. Uh, We'll start with a quote from George MacDonald. He said, everything difficult indicates something more than our theory of life yet embraces. That's why it's difficult. We look at it and we don't know. We can't explain everything. We don't, we can't, uh, if we could, then it wouldn't be difficult. We would, oh, now I know why that happened. Now I know what's going on. Now I have a full embrace of all the details. But the nature of difficulty is going to involve something other than me knowing everything. Because I can't know everything. So I have to know someone who does know everything. And I have to trust him. I have to have faith. Faith is what is going to stand in into those gaps, those enormous gaps where I lack knowledge. That doesn't mean we don't have knowledge, doesn't mean we don't have essential knowledge, but it does mean we don't have perfect knowledge. And so that's um, going to be a foundation for our understanding and gaining a correct theology of this subject. It's true of any subject that we need to start with theology. What does God think about these things? That's what theology is. That's how we know God. The study of God is, what did he say? What has he revealed about himself, about the world, about us, about sin, about redemption? What has he said about that? And those are the things we're going to stand on. Those are the things we need to know. And so we want to start with theology. We don't get to just uh, make it up. And we shouldn't rely on just picking it up. Because that's the alternative. We just pick it up here and there. Uh, or react to a situation, reacting to a situation is always a bad plan. These approaches will certainly lead us inevitably to wrong conclusions. Uh, Romans 3, 4, indeed, let God be true, though every man a liar. So that's, he is our only reliable source. When, and so when we approach subjects like pain, suffering, and grief, especially when we are personally feeling those things, we're not in a good position, really, in that moment to evaluate those things. We've got this storm going on around us, so many unknowns. Sometimes our world has been turned upside down, and we're not in the best position. If we wait till that moment, if you wait till the uh, tornado is coming up your driveway to decide where you're going to hide and what you're going to do, it's too late. You need to think about that ahead of time, and that's what we're doing in these lessons, is trying to understand what does God say about these things, so at least when they show up on our doorstep, and they will, then we do have a plan. Um, And so in the middle of pain, you know, when my some part of me hurts, as more and more parts do as I get older, uh, it has all of my attention, and as a result, I'm likely to overlook other things. I personally, again, know almost nothing about everything. I cannot see very far ahead of me, really almost not at all. Um, And so that's why we walk by faith and not by sight. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Uh, So we need an objective, not simply a subjective perspective. So subjective I always think if I could draw this on a board, imagine mountains and valleys, that I'm in the valley trying to get a perspective on the world. But everywhere I look, I'm I'm limited. 
God is above all that, and he's looking down, and he has an objective view of everything. History, the world, the universe, me. He knows the whole story, start to finish. So that's the difference in objective up here. Subjective is just, I'm the subject, it's me. It's whatever I can see in the moment, and I can't see very far. So our limited experience is not sufficient to supply us in ourselves with trustworthy answers. Therefore, we are driven back to the fundamentals. What do we actually know, and how do we know it? Sound theology is foundational to sound practice. Ideas have consequences. Theology has consequences. The truth matters. It's the roadmap that tells us where we are and where we're going, even if it's a general sense. Um, So God has, in fact, revealed some of what he knows. He's given us what we need, and therefore we need to know that. So today we're going to spend a fair amount of time just looking at Scripture. That's, that's, uh, that's the powerful thing. That's the living word. That's the, the truth. And so I have ten things that we do know. And so when we're in a crisis, when we are facing pain, sorrow, grief, and other, uh, other upheavals in our lives, here are ten things that we know. Number one, we know that God is utterly trustworthy and is able to show us what we need, give us what we need, to show us what we need to know. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. God breathed. And it is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete or mature, um, thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the face of a crisis, we need Christian maturity. We need to stand on the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. So that's the first thing we know. The second thing we know is that everything is centered in Jesus Christ. This is not all about me. By him, Colossians 1.16, by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. That's very critical to understand that. They weren't created for me, they were created for him. And so that includes you and your loved ones and everything else. He is central. Number three, we know that he, that is, God, is in control of all things. He is sovereign. Nothing is escaping his attention. There's no, there are no surprises. There are no contingencies. He is not wringing his hands. Daniel 4.35, all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth, no one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? Of course, he does many things. That's a gross understatement. Many things that we don't see or know or understand. In fact, most things. Remember, we know very little. But he he is in control of all of those. He spoke the world into existence, the universe into existence. He maintains it. Number four, we know 
that we are valued and loved by God and that he is paying attention to the details of our lives. I've made this observation before. If we, if we were to do a study on the attributes of God, and let's say we spent weeks and weeks on that, we still would have barely scratched the surface and our comprehension and understanding of who he is, his infinity and eternity in all of his attributes. So, but all that he is, he is with you all the time. His attention is not divided like ours. I can think about Andy, and I can't think about Jonathan at the same time. But he can. And he can think about all of us, not just think. He's constantly uh, present with us in all of his infinity. All that he is is present with us all the time. Jesus said, Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father's will? Think about that. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. A A lot of these verses would be great ones to memorize, to get ready for difficult days. It is Christ who died, uh, Romans 8, 34 through 39. It's Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Jesus is praying for you right now. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword... As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long, we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Number five, we know that God created us. Think about Psalm 139. For you formed formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. He was there at the very beginning. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed, uh, saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there was none of them. Wow. All of Psalm 139 is great for this, um, just the awareness of the presence of God. I can't get away from it. I don't want to get away from it. No matter where I go, he's there. In the darkness, well, it's just like the lights are on for him. Number six, we know that God is all wise. Not pretty wise, not wiser than most. He is all wise. Romans 11, 34 through 36. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor, or who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him? 
For of him and through him and to him, for of him and through him and to him are how many things? All things. To whom be the glory forever. Amen. Number seven, we know that God is all-powerful. Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. In Second Chronicles 26, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven, and do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might, so that no one, no one is able to withstand you? Number eight, we know that God has a plan that includes our good. Genesis 50:20. But as for you, you meant it for evil. Joseph says to his brothers, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about it as it is this day to save many people alive. I'll allude to this again in the sermon today, but Joseph didn't know what God was doing through all of his difficulties. He didn't know how the story ended. We do. And he found out. He lived. He got to the end and he realizes God's been at work in all of this all along. Romans 8.28, of course, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. All of them. All the hard things as well as the good things that we see. It's a way of God saying, well, really, they're all good things. We just don't, just trust me, walk with me. We talked about that last week with Job, right? Number nine, we know that even the difficult things are under his direction. Exodus 4.11, so the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? There are no accidents, no surprises Amos 3.6, is there calamity in a city? Will not the Lord have done it? I know that's not popular. I remember you know, hearing after a tornado or something like, oh, well, you know, the Lord, Lord didn't do this. This was not an act of God. That's what insurance companies used to refer to it. They may still do that. But uh, the idea was that somehow this was just outside of his purview. Now, of course, there is mystery with God as well, and we, and that's actually a good thing. Imagine if there was no mystery. What would that mean? Well, that means you'd know as much as he does. Number 10, things we know. We know that God has promised comfort in our suffering. Second Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Does that, does that mean I feel it instantly? No. I'm weak, I'm wobbly, I'm frail, I'm afraid, I'm grieving. I cry out to my Father, cast my cares on Him. Second Corinthians 1, 3-7, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. 
For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast, because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will be partakers of the consolation. So these are the ten things we know. I'll back up and just read read them here again just to review. We know that God is utterly trustworthy and able to show us what we need to know. We know that everything is centered in Jesus Christ. We know that he is in control of all things. He's sovereign. We know that we are valued and loved by God and that he is paying attention to the details of our lives. We know that he created us. We know that God is all-wise. We know that he's all-powerful. We know that his plan includes our good. We know that even difficult things are under his direction. And we know that he has promised comfort even in our suffering. Those are the things we know. We don't know much. Well, you could, actually, I think that's quite a bit. It's not a large quantity of things to know, but these are the essential things to know. If you know these things, the fact that you don't know all the details, remember when God is doing something, we might see, I forgot who said this, it may have been MacArthur, um, uh, we see three things when God's doing 10,000 things. And sometimes we live long enough, maybe next week, next year, 10 years from now, 50 years later, we look back and we start to see more and more things he was doing because as the story unfolds, we see that, oh, if that hadn't happened, this wouldn't have happened. And this thing was really great. And so we, we live, as we move through life, we begin to look back and see the story unfold, which should ca- cause us to trust him even more, which is why we have a book, the Bible, full of stories where we get to see how the story began and we get to see all the trouble in between and then we get to see how the story ends and that's dealing with the history, right? Where we talk about Abraham or Moses or David or all kinds of troubles. But then we get to see what Abraham talked about. He saw Christ's day and rejoiced. So we also then get to project that into the future. And say, so, well, if, if he's always done this before with his people, he's always done all these things, and he's certainly done it in my life, then why wouldn't I expect him to continue to do that? Now, does that answer all the questions? No, it doesn't. But I do say another thing about perspective, and you hear me talk about that a lot, that is how we look at something. One other thing I might add is it's important that we have an eternal perspective. There are the things that are seen and the things that are unseen. And Paul says that the, the tribulations of this time are not to be compared to the glories that will follow And I have mentioned this before, you know, if you were one and you turned two, that year was half your life. If you were 99 and you turned 100, that year is 1% of your life. So the longer you live, the shorter time feels. A year is a smaller and smaller percentage of your life. Well, imagine stepping into eternity, what this life looks like in perspective. Suddenly this is... Very, very short. 
very temporary. And I think of C.S. Lewis's statement, this world is only shadows, the real world is yet to come. The full revelation, the, the glory and the beauty that's ahead. So Westminster Confession of Faith chapter on providence says, God, the creator of all things, does uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things from the greatest even to the least by his most wise and holy providence according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own will to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. Although in relation to the foreknowledge and decree of God, the first, the first cause, all things come to pass immutably, certainly, and infallibly. Yet by the, by the same providence, he orders them to fall out according to the nature of second causes, either necessarily, freely, or contingently. Yet there are second causes. There are people who give you a hard time, and then we also have to remember that God sent those people. God, still continuing confession, God in his ordinary providence makes use of means, yet is free to work above, without, and against them at his pleasure. The Heidelberg Catechism, a few questions from there that are helpful here. You know the first one, what is your only comfort in life and in death, that I with body and soul, both in life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ who with his precious blood is fully satisfied for all my sins and redeem me from all the power of the devil and so preserves me that without the will of my heavenly father, without the, without the will of my father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, that all things must work together for my salvation. Wherefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live unto him. Question 27 from Heidelberg, what do you understand by the providence of God? The almighty, everywhere present power of God, whereby, as it were by his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth with all creatures and so governs them that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruit, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, richness and poverty, indeed all things come not by chance but by his fatherly hand. Question 28, what does it profit us to know that God created and by his providence upholds all things? You know, what's, what, what's, what's the good of us knowing that? That we may be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and for what is future, have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from his love since all creatures are so in his hand that without his will... They cannot so much as move. Jerry Bridges, his book, I commend to you. Everybody ought to have a copy. If you haven't read it, you ought to. And if you, if you hadn't read it lately, read it again, or uh, you'll need it soon. It's called Trusting God Even When Life Hurts. He says this, No one can act outside of God's sovereign will or against it. Centuries ago, Augustine said, Nothing therefore happens unless the omnipotent wills it to happen. He either permits it to happen or he brings it about himself. 
Philip Hughes said, Under God, however, all things are without exception fully controlled, despite all appearances to the contrary. Nothing is too large or small to escape God's governing hand. The spider building its web in the corner and Napoleon marching his army across Europe are both under God's control. As God's rule is invincible, so it is incomprehensible. His ways are higher than our ways, Isaiah 59.9. His judgments are unsearchable and his paths are beyond tracing out, Romans 11.33. The sovereignty of God is often questioned because man does not understand what God is doing because he does not act as we think he should. We conclude he cannot act as we think he, he would. God is called the one, Ephesians 1.11, who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Do you believe that? Everything that happens fits in accord with and in harmony with his plan. This means that God's plan includes little things. Proverbs 16.33, The lot is cast into the lap, but the disposal thereof is of the Lord. You can throw your dice, and whatever turns up was in his hand. We see that in Scripture a number of times, right? Where casting of a lot is a fulfillment of his providence and his will. Ultimately, there are no accidents. He planned, his plan includes the, what we call the bad things. Psalm 60, verse 3 says, You have made your people see hard things. You have given us wine to drink that made us stagger. So suffering then is not outside God's plan, but actually a part of it. Acts 4, 27 through 28, the Christian disciples pray to God, For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done regarding the crucifixion of Christ. Jesus' suffering and death was a great act of injustice, but it was also a part of the plan of God. So, God is in the trouble. Paul saw God in his troubles. Philippians 1.13, he wrote, My chains are in Christ. That's how God wants us to look at trouble, too. When trouble comes, many Christians react in ways that reflect fundamentally non-Christian views, because we're usually reacting, not acting. If asked, most of us would acknowledge that God is involved in our troubles, but when push comes to shove, we're faced with, uh, when we're faced with a devastating trial, of one sort or another, our working uh, atheism rises to the surface, or at best, our deism. Uh, God's not involved, or he's not paying attention. He's the clockmaker who's off busy doing other things, apparently. All the rhetorical whys, the bitter complaints, the hand-wringing, self-pity, the seething anger, and the coming apart at the seams demonstrate a focus on self that effectively excludes God, at least for the moment, and I think that's probably common for most of us. That's why we need lessons like this. That's why we need to know our Bible. We need to 
remember what we so easily forget. I, don't, I suspect I haven't told you anything this morning that you didn't already know. But if you're like me, and apparently the Bible sees it this way too, it's not a problem for me to tell you again. And again, and again, and again. Paul viewed trouble quite differently. Again, we're working through Acts. We're going to see it again this morning in the sermon. I mean, he's just in this string of, of arrest and trials and problem after problem after problem. Um, and I'll give you a preview. The, well, you see the title of the sermon in the order of worship today. One of the verses just jumps out at me in Acts 23. Jesus comes to Paul, and in the middle of all this storm, he says, Be of good cheer. It struck me almost humorous. What? Um, so Paul views his situation, his bonds, he declared, were not placed on his wrist by the Jews who accused him, nor did he consider them Roman bonds. He wore the bonds of Christ. And it was because Jesus wanted him in those bonds that he was, uh, that, and that was the bottom line on trouble for him. Are you facing financial trouble, sickness, persecution, or some other hardship? And if you must ask why, then don't make it simply a rhetorical question. Are you willing to hear Paul's answer? If so, then you'll be able to reply resoundingly in truly biblical fashion, I am in financial trouble or sick or persecuted because Christ wants me right now in this trouble. To be able to say this with the warmth of a true of true faith is a, is the first step in handling trouble God's way. That doesn't mean you have to be happy about it. it doesn't mean you put a big smile on your face. You can still weep and lament and cry out. That's appropriate. Nevertheless, as Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, this viewpoint is rare even among Christians, but Paul was a rare person. So here's one reason why uh, he responded to trouble as a Christian should. That's, that's, uh, it wasn't that he was miss, didn't have trouble. He had plenty of it. Uh, that's enough to make anyone stand out in this world of every other sort of response. His was a providential view of life. He saw God in the problem, and that makes all the difference. I've used this before. If you had a flat tire, you're on the side of the road in 108-degree heat, you might be tempted to be angry. And if you step back and you say, well, let me look at this from another angle. Did God bring this flat tire, and did he just save my life at the next intersection? I'm not happy about 109-degree tire changing, uh, but I now have a different perspective on that to know that there are no little things. Um... So it not only becomes endurable, but it begins to even make sense. It takes on meaning and purpose. That's the problem with the unbelief. Unbelief has no meaning or no purpose to any pain, any suffering, any grief whatsoever. It's just meaningless. It's just pain. So that's why it's altogether necessary for you and I to understand and acquire a biblical view of this. So... We need to, to, to wrap this up. We need to acknowledge God's providence in trouble. So 
What is providence and how should it affect your view of trouble? Providence means that God is actively at work in history, even those events that we label trouble. Such events are not exceptions in God's providence in which he turns his back and allows history to just run its own course. They are part of his active work by which he brings to pass what ultimately will issue or result in his own glory and the blessing of his people, the church. And when it's all said and done, there remain two and only two views of God in history. Either God makes mistakes or God is God in ways we don't now fully understand providentially directs every phase of history, including trouble, toward his own good goals, which will be reached in his time and his manner. Paul most emphatically opted for the latter view and just as surely flatly rejected the first. Belief in God's providence will make an enormous difference in your attitude, my attitude, toward trouble. And while it's entirely proper to label trouble as trouble, it's altogether wrong to see it as only trouble. Got that? It is trouble, but that's not all it is. There's other things going on here. I I can't see them all right now. I'd like to see them. Be patient. Pray. Trust. Read the Word. Be with friends. Be encouraged. Cry. And then start the whole thing over again. Cry out to God. Cast your cares on Him because He cares for you. A providential view affirms that there is meaning and purpose to it. That, in fact... uh, that, that, in fact, it's but a means to realize that purpose even when your nose is pressed too tightly against trouble uh, for you to see beyond your nose. Belief that God providentially sustains and directs historical events is what makes it possible to follow Paul's direction to pray and to give thanks about all things rather than worry about trouble. Here's what he wrote in Philippians 4, 6 through 7. You know this passage. And if you hadn't memorized this, let me urge you to do so because you need it uh, often. I do. What did he say? Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes or surpasses understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. We're all tempted. We all get anxious. We're all tempted to be anxious. Why? Because we don't know much. We're little children in the dark. He says, all right, tell me about it. And, and as you're getting started, pause for a moment before you get worked up here and give thanks. What do you have in your life to be thankful for? Have I taken care of you? Countless times, give thanks. Okay, now let's go back to your problem. Give it to me. Let your request be made known. And I'll explain everything to you, to your satisfaction. Then you'll have peace. No. The peace of God will be given to you, even a peace that surpasses understanding. Even you say, I still don't understand. But I gave it to you, and I trust you because I've 
always been able to trust you. You've demonstrated your trustworthiness. You've made all kinds of promises. You've given me all kinds of examples, both personally and historically. I have no reason to doubt you, but I'm still afraid, Lord. Well, keep giving it to me. I get up from prayer, and I walk out the room, and I'm anxious again. Okay, turn around, pray again, start over. Keep doing that. You may have to do it a thousand times, depending on what situation you're in. It may happen over a period of time. That's what we do. That along with these other ten things that you know. Review them. If you need to jot those down and stick them in your Bible, uh, if you want the notes, I'd be happy to send them to you. And you could just have that stuck in there and say, now what was it? I'm, what, I forgot what I know. Uh, what was that? Here they are. Okay. Ooh, that's hard. No, it's kind of impossible apart from the grace of God. Okay, but this is what we need to do. So, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, the powerful word that gives life, that comforts us in our sorrows, that helps us to see further than we would ever see without that. And so thank you for revealing yourself, revealing your purposes, and uh, giving us good hope and comfort. Bless us now as we prepare for worship. In Jesus' name, amen.